1: What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Locations Unknown. I'm your co-host, Joe Irado, and with me, as always, is a guy who would never hit Captain Jack Sparrow, Mike Vandabogard. <laughs> <Thank laughs> nice, nice quick save on yeah, the mic thank there. You, you need that.
2: Yeah, I forgot we were recording, so I didn't have <laughs> the microphone in front of me. Um, well, uh, thank you to all of the loyal listeners for tuning in, and uh, just a couple quick uh, announcements here, just a few Patreon shout-outs. Uh, Matt Alasky and Shelby Snow, thank you so much for supporting the show. Joe and I have decided that we really want to go to CrimeCon next year, so every bit of help that we get from you guys will uh, get us one step closer to going and mingling with... Yeah, we're going to literally walk, so each dollar's a step. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so um, this is going to be a, an interesting little episode. We're giving you uh, four different case updates on cases we've already covered And we actually have clips of the theories we gave. Uh, One of the episodes was our second episode we did. We sound so young. (laughs) But, uh, so, and then we're going to actually go through the updates and what actually happened. And you guys be the judge of how accurate we were with our theories. And I obviously left out some of our, you know, off-the-rails stuff. Yes. Like rock people and aliens. Yeah, we can just focus on the real stuff. Yeah, so...
1: Um. So we, if you're watching the stream, you saw maybe we've been a little flustered in the beginning. <laughs> I um, I was in Chicago all week with the family and for work, and I'm going to tell this story because it's a funny story, and I'll try and I'll try and keep it short. So Mike, sh- I I literally get back from Chicago. We drove, and we had scheduled this time to record, and Mike showed up was showing up about a half hour after I got home. You know, more than enough time for me to kind of settle in, get the studio ready, uh, so we can record. I walk into. My garage to see how our pet ducks are doing which we put out a lot of food and water while we were going to be gone for a day and they're nowhere to be found and my garage is covered in duck poop uh the fridge door is open the milk jugs are are like smashed open and there's a crack in my door i find out my ducks got into the house <laughs> and, and we're- like search like they had enough food and water in the garage they were just looking i think they might have got in and got lost in the house and yeah. couldn't find their way back because they were just pooping all over my house <laughs> trying to find food and water it was pretty um funny. it was it's really ridiculous the ducks are okay yeah they're perfectly fine they saw me and they ran over and then i brought them back in the garage and they're eating and drinking again um, but it's been complete chaos here. So <laughs> I have my kids right now cleaning up duck poop all over the house. It and, was their uh, fault. Yeah, it was their fault. <laughs> so it's been a little bit wild. So um, we'll just we'll leave it at that. Yeah. And um, I, Did you do our patron shout-outs? I did. You did? See, I'm, I'm completely off he's base u- right now. He's here. out of it. <laughs> all right, everybody. Let's gear up and get out to explore locations unknown. In this week's episode, we'll be reviewing updates to cases we have covered in the past. So join us this week and we will see how our theories held up as the details of these cases unfold. All right, so the first case update we're going to look at is Gearin Kirk, which was episode 55. And the location of this case for Gearin was Mount Hood National Forest. Uh, it's roughly the size of Glacier National Park. It's lo- located in Oregon. Did I say that right? You did. Okay, Oregon uh, comprises over 1 million acres. So, like we said, roughly the size of Glacier National Park. Uh, quick character profile just for a uh, refresh. His name was Garen Kirk. Uh, oh, and did oh,
2: you say when we did this episode?
1: Oh, I did not. This was February 25th of this year. Yes. Okay, I did leave that out. That was my bad. Yeah. I am still so flustered. I just saw numbers and dashes, and I did <laughs> not even attribute that to, as a date.
2: I know. I just turned the AC off in yeah. case uh, you <laughs> yeah, heard. Yeah, the, we forgot
1: uh, to turn the AC well, off. Coming
2: are in the background. <laughs>
1: yeah, we're, we're very flustered. So uh, this past February 25th, episode 55, Garen Kirk, uh, the age of Garen was 31. He went missing on December 3rd of 2014. No remains were found. Uh, he was male at the time of the disappearance. He was 31. As we said, uh, he was six, one 180 pounds. He had blonde hair and blue eyes and Kirk was married. So here's a couple things about his personality. He was married for several years. Uh, but he and his wife are, were divorced. Uh, they shared joint custody of a five-year-old daughter. According to friends and family, he was well-liked and showed no signs of any type of mental illness or distress. Uh, His occupation and uh, hobbies, he grew up in Milwaukee, Oregon. And I remember this episode because it's not spelt like the Milwaukee we live in.
2: No, it's got an I instead of an E.
1: But if I do recall, we looked it up and it was named after our Milwaukee, kind of? I I don't remember. I I, I think we... Read that, and I speculated as if it was real or not. We weren't weren't entirely sure. We don't know. Yeah, so he lived in Arizona for a number of years where he worked as an admissions officer at the University of Phoenix. Uh, He moved back to Oregon uh, to study business at the Portland Community College. His experience in the wilderness, uh, he was an experienced outdoorsman. He often took solo trips into the woods, so he was no stranger to hiking by himself in the woods. Family and friends mentioned that it was very unusual for him to head out on a trip and not tell anyone his plan, however. Uh, so his experience in the location where he went missing, uh, he grew up in that area and went on several camping trips a year. Friends and family statements about the individual. Um, again, they just really focused on how he knew the area. He was well-experienced. So the original case summary on December 3rd in 2014 was a Wednesday. Was the last time he was seen by his family was the day before on December 2nd. Uh, Geerin left home to hike in the Mount Hood National Forest with plans to return on December 6th, which was Saturday. So that's Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, three days. Yeah. Law enforcement believes that uh, Gearn arrived at Frog Lake Snow Park sometime between noon and 1 p.m. Family members said the 31-year-old Gearn Kirk didn't leave word about exactly where he planned to camp when he left on the 3rd. On December 7th, which was Sunday, Kirk's sister files a missing persons report, December 8th the official search and rescue for Kirk didn't start until Monday because they didn't have a start point to commence the search. So because no one knew where he was, yep. <clears throat> they didn't know where to start. So it was a late start, which is never good. Yeah, December 16th was the Tuesday. Uh, the next week, after more than a week of combing through the southern flank of Mount Hood, Wasco County Sheriff Sergeant Scott Williams said that the search for a missing uh, Milwaukee man has been completely called off. So I'll play the clip.
2: So yeah, this is right the fun now. part. We're going to play the clips from our original theories uh, and then we'll tell you what happened. <laughs> All right. So just
1: give us a second here. Oh, it's that. Let me play right from there. My bad. This will take literally. Here we go.
2: <clears throat> Number 1 theory is probably hypothermia and exposure due to him going out in bad weather in December in the Mount Hood area. What do you think?
0: I, uh, I would agree with that. Honestly, I think he succumbed to the elements. My my theory just kind of even, I've, I refined it while you were talking. I feel like it's one of those things where maybe he set up camp, went to go. I, I just think about what I do. When I go yeah. out hiking, I set up camp get that squared away. And then I'm going to go get all the things I need to survive in that space. So I might have to trek out to get some water or fill up some pots or things like that. My guess is he probably had all the right gear. Probably knew what I was, what he was doing. My guess is he went along that trail. So when I look at the trail, I'll pop it back up on the screen. If you're going to go at a terrible time of year, I'm just trying to think of me. I'm going to do in a hike or an area that is a little bit easier to do. It's cold. I'm not in it to hike and look at what everything that's going on. When I'm going down a trail in winter, it's like, I want to get to where I'm going. It's so beautiful. But like in summer, it's, I want to go long distances. I want to see lots of things, maybe get away from people. I feel like here you could park your car, hike along the trail. And what you're seeing here are, are more service roads. The trails are these smaller lines. Yeah. Those are like the hiking trails. There's a campground that's like right here. And the one thing I noticed is like, look at this. Look at that view of Mount Hood. Yeah. So if I go down an angle, like, I would love to set up camp in the middle of winter, see that, just beautiful, like, that'd be yeah. awesome. I'm not going to hike tons of miles. Mm-hmm. So what if he sets up camp, there's no one out there, because it's a terrible time of year to camp, Yeah, he goes to either get water or something, and just can't find his way back.
2: Yeah, but that, now my question is, you'd think you'd find his tent. That hit me kind of after I said <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> if you didn't say that I was going to, yeah. yeah, they'd find his stuff. Unless, right, so yeah, maybe he was... Carrying it all, and he's like, I'm going to go find a spot. Yeah, got turned I don't around. know. I don't Okay, know. nope, that blew, that blew it up. And one thing we didn't know is what they found in his car. That didn't come up in any of the research, which oh, really like if, interesting. If there was gear in there that like, he left behind. did he leave his backpack in his car. It doesn't yeah. sound like he did, because I feel like they would have mentioned that. Yeah. So, okay. yeah, that was our original theories on kind of what happened to Giran. and now Joe's going to go through. So we don't actually have a ton of information yet on... Uh, what happened to him because this update was from June second of this month okay,
1: so, so the update from June second this, this is month. from
2: um, a family member posted this on Facebook
1: okay so the day we 've all been waiting for confirmation of Garen's passing about four years ago, lost hikers happened upon his wallet in a ravine about one mile from where we thought he went missing and what looked like human remains. They brought a driver's license to local police, and it was Gearins. Fast forward, my DNA was collected to be processed with these bones, and today I received the call from the sheriff's office that it was a match. This closure brings a myriad of emotions, but most of all peace knowing all the signs we felt were him all along.
2: So um, out of the four cases, this is the one with the least amount of current new information just because it's so recent. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, so... He was, you know, found in a ravine only about a mile from where he originally was kind of reported missing from. So that just shows you, you know, a massive search can happen and depending on where, you know, if it, it sounds like he might have fallen. Yeah, that's, that's what I, as soon as I was reading it, because um, full disclosure, I didn't read any of these, so I
1: haven't seen any of these updates. Yeah. That's immediately what I thought is um, in the bad weather, if he was out hiking, walking around, yep. had a mistake. And maybe he was injured for a bit, but if there's no one there that knows where you are or what you're doing, um, and if he was incapacitated and couldn't get out, unfortunately, yeah, um, he probably passed. Uh, it's it's good to always hear that the family is kind of at peace. Yeah, they get they got the closure they need. Um, so that that's good.
2: One interesting thing is just you can see how some of these things move very slowly. So he went missing in 2014. Uh, his wallet was found four, uh, well, they said, uh, what did they say, four years ago?
1: Yeah, so, about four years ago, lost lost hikers happened upon his wallet in a ravine. So it was hikers that were also lost. Yeah. Um,
2: and it took four years basically to, um, and I want to make sure. Do the DNA? Yeah. I um, While you're talking, I want to just make sure the post was from June of this year and not like June.
1: Okay. I want to touch on that real quick because I just thought of it. Lost hikers happen upon the wallet in a ravine. Yeah. That means they went to the same area he went. So there's something there that's basically pulling these people in for whatever reason. Maybe it's the views. Maybe it's something like that. The fact that they went to the same spot, but they were lost also. Yeah. So what I would really love to hear why they went there there and what caused them to get lost. And it
2: was June of this year. It was June of this year. Yeah. I confirmed it. So it took four years to basically confirm the DNA analysis. Oh, uh, I mean, We
1: got we get a big audience now. What are we at? 32,000 we got
2: this month? Something like something that. Something like that? Yeah. Uh,
1: so if you know about this case or are one of those hikers, like please reach out to us. Like yeah. Call the number because I would be very interested as to what got you there. Yeah. Because I wouldn't be surprised if it's the same thing they got uh, here and there.
2: Yeah. So moving on to our second case update. So Erica Lloyd, this was episode 32. We recorded this on December 5th of 2020. Uh, just to kind of briefly recap what happened, um, the location was Joshua Tree National Park. Um, it was in a region, uh, river, you know, in the area of Riverside and San Bernardino County, California. It's the southern portion of California. Uh, the subject's name was Erica Lloyd. She was a female, age thirty-seven. She was five foot four, one hundred twenty-five pounds, dark brown hair, blue eyes. Um, she was last seen in possibly clothing for camping, but no one really knows um, personality. So we went into this pretty in depth. She, um, you know, the by June of 2020, the pandemic lockdowns had taken the toll its toll on Erica. Uh, the accumulated stress of 2020, unemployment, homeschooling her son, protests and violence in the streets took its toll, according to Rebecca Malone, who stopped over to see Erica on June 10th of 2020. Uh, she goes on to say that something seemed off, so it was like th- this is a wellness check, recalls Malone. We sat with a glass of wine, commiserating, like, wow, these are crazy times. When Malone phoned her four days later, Lloyd said she needed a mental health break, um, and she said, I'm going to be fine. And that was the last time uh, Malone had spoken to her. Um, medical issues, everybody said that she seemed healthy. We have, We don't know. There could have been something going on with her. That we don't know of She was the former owner of uh, her own hair salon But it was shut down due to uh, the coronavirus And so uh, She had one son named Chase So quick summary of what happened to her Uh, June fourteenth, 2020 While at home in Walnut Creek Erica told her roommate She was planning to meet some people In Joshua Tree National Park This would be the last time her roommates would see her According to the San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department June 15th, Erica's parents, Ruth and Wayne, last heard from her when she texted her son saying, Mommy's sorry for scaring you. I'll be back soon. June 16th, now 2020, which is a Tuesday, California Highway Patrol finds Erica's car abandoned near Highway 62 near 29 Palms. The car's windshield was shattered, and according to Bailey's auto repair and towing, a destroyed radio and deployed airbag was found inside. However, there was no sign of blood and no indication of foul play I have an update on why that happened To okay. her car So right. it gets interesting uh, June seventeenth, 2020, which is a Wednesday Erica was reported missing by her family After they had lost contact with her uh, For two days June twenty fourth, 2020 A uh, large search and rescue operation Was already underway at this point According to the Marengo Basin Sheriff Station uh, Search teams were operating assets On the ground and in the air So now July through September 2020, which we had, this was an estimated date range. The Lloyd family enlists uh, conservationist and cave researcher Doug Billions to continue the search after the formal search and rescue mission concluded. So that's a very high level kind of case summary. And if you want to hear this case in much more detail, go back and listen to uh, what was it, episode 32. Now Joe is going to play a clip of the theories we had on this one. All right. <laughs> roll tape, <laughs> roll tape. If she was abducted. She's by herself injured, you know, around, you know, people doing drugs and other crimes. Like I, I don't think it's too far fetched to say that she could have been abducted.
0: Yeah. And you know, to, if, if I'm going to play devil's advocate on my own theory, yeah, I'm hinging a lot on, the corroborated statement of a guy who claims to have seen her based on her tattoos. And it's uh, my theory of 100% hinges on that guy being accurate, that that's yeah. actually her and not somebody else. So that is probably not a big enough of a controllable statement, like where you can be a hundred percent positive to really go down that road fully. Mm-hmm. So I think in this one, uh, what what are the official theories? Do they have, like officially stated theories from the authorities or the search teams.
2: Um. So you know the authorities keep saying that they don't think foul play was involved in. Okay. Yeah, you did mention that. Either of yeah, those cases, they really didn't give a specific cause of death. Uh, I. You know, they're probably just assuming. You know, exposure got lost, fell in the mine shaft, whatever. Um, you know, like I said, the family family and other people online seem to think that maybe there's more going on here than what people are saying that potentially foul play was involved or she injured her head bad enough in that car crash that she, you know, had memory loss and maybe confusion that led her to, uh, you know, maybe that led her to wander off into the wilderness where she succumbed to, um, you know, Okay. So, um, I, I, it sounds like I was kind of going towards, she got injured in her car and then wandered off into the desert where she then yeah. perished. Um, so we got an update on this one, actually January 31st of 2021. So I'm going to kind of go through, uh, what's happened. Uh, so Erica Lloyd, who had been missing since taking a road trip to Joshua Tree National Park back in June has been found dead according to her brother in a Facebook post. Colin Lloyd said that human remains were discovered by hikers on January 31st, 2021 near Danby and Amboy Roads in Wonder Valley, California, in San Bernardino County, and that they have been identified uh, as his sister. This is about eight miles along the roadways from where uh, her car was found. And he goes on to say if she'd walked northwest across the desert instead of following the roads, the distance to where she was found is about six miles. So the San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department Special Investigative Unit has notified the family that they are no longer handling Erica's case at this time. Uh, after reviewing the extensive investigation done on Erica's disappearance, they have not found any indication of foul play. But we don't know. They never mention what her actual cause of death was. But thus, Erica's case will be turned back over to the Marango Marengo, of you said that Basin Station investigation for any remaining follow-up uh, and information. Although her remains were located, deputies continued to investigate what happened to her vehicle. Morongo. Morongo. There you go. All right, we got it. <laughs> um, officials said in December of 2020, detectives were able to determine Lloyd's vehicle was taken from the original location where she went missing. This threw off the search and rescue operations locating Lloyd. The detectives worked to obtain warrants and identify the subdu- subjects ju- suspects. Oh, suspects. Sorry. <laughs> um, on June 6th of 2021, nearly a year to the day when Lloyd's family last heard from her, detectives identified who stole her vehicle. On June 8th, two suspects were arrested at their residence in 29 Palms. One suspect identified as a 34-year-old woman faces charges in grand theft auto and possession of stolen property. Her bail was originally set at $1 million. However, the San Bernardino County Sheriff's Detective confirmed on Tuesday that she had been released. The second suspect was identified as a 28-year-old male who faces charges of vehicle theft and being a felon in possession of a firearm. He was also originally held on $75,000 before being released. So... Um, we hinged a lot of our theories around her car being damaged and that factoring in somehow to her disappearance. But it, as it turns out, she had already left her car and two people stole it and then crashed it. Okay. And they've been arrested and charged with the crime of stealing her car. We still don't understand. We still don't know what led to her death. The, the police have ruled it no foul play. So they obviously have more information than was released. Yeah, I, I,
1: it's like with that gone, it almost makes it more simple. If she, yeah. she already was kind of in a altered mental set of state. She wasn't yeah. in a good spot. If she was hiking through the desert, yeah, she probably just succumbed to the elements.
2: I think that would be my updated theory. Is she, uh, she either planned on this happening or because of the. Turmoil of COVID and losing her business. Sure, like,
1: I'm just going to walk off and go until I cannot go anywhere. Or,
2: or yeah, she went out and succumbed to the elements. Uh, she wasn't planning to do that, and then uh, it took them uh, only about a, yeah, half a year to find her remains, so pretty quick in some of these cases. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, again, we're just happy that the family gets closure, so – um, yeah, I think it narrows it down to more of it's, it's, I, I
1: guess I like thinking of the silver linings and all these, um, she wasn't like abducted or she didn't suffer in that regard because yeah. she was already suffering mentally. Yep. Yeah. like it would add insult to injury if it's part of that suffering was she's abducted by two people and yeah. they're assaulting her or things like that. So,
2: all right. So, uh, this week's sponsor of, uh, the episode is magic mind. As many of you know, I recently was blessed with my first child. Along with the joy of having a baby came the many nights of sleep deprivation. Anyone who's had kids will know what I'm talking about. Your life now revolves around the baby. All of my other obligations in life didn't change, and now I'm trying to get through the day on half the sleep. I've tried all the different energy drinks and supplements, but nothing seems to help. That's where our friends at Magic Mind came to the rescue. With all the other flashy energy drinks and even coffee sometimes give me the jitters and mess with my sleep cycle, which is on life support these days. One serving of Magic Mind in the morning gives me that boost I've been looking for without any of the downsides from drinking a gallon of coffee every day. How does Magic Mind do this? Well, Magic Mind is the world's first productivity shot that boosts energy, memory, and mood, increases focus, and helps to lower stress and inflammation. And if that isn't enough, one serving of Magic Mind is loaded with vitamin C to help support immune health. Magic Mind is made from the highest quality ingredients, including the incredibly beneficial nootropics lion's mane and cordyceps mushrooms. While some energy drinks pull stunts to raise awareness, like having a guy jump out of a high-altitude balloon, Magic Mind is actually trying to do good in the world. Magic Mind is committed to a carbon-neutral production process through contributions to reforestation programs in Northern California, and the Amazon rainforest. Magic Mind also contributes $0.05 cents of every bottle sold to mental health charities that services and assists impoverished and homeless communities within the U.S. Can any of the other hourly energy drinks say that? If you're ready to try a product that has helped me through some stressful and sleepless nights, Magic Mind is offering an exclusive deal to Locations Unknown listeners right now with the discount code... Unknown20 at checkout, you can get 20% off your first one time purchase. But I think you'll like this product so much, they're offering 40% off on your first subscription. Just use the same discount code, Unknown20 at checkout, but hurry. The discount codes are only good for 10 days. To take advantage of these offers, visit magicmind.co slash unknown, that is M A G I C M I N D.co forward slash unknown. If you're going to go through the day tired and groggy, do what I did and give magic mind a try. So I was, um, Joe was holding ma- it up. I
1: was holding it up and I was also making you drink it. <laughs> <laughs> <on the camera. laughs> no, for whoever's watching, I actually slammed one of these in the middle. Cause I realized I'm like, Oh, we have these products literally right here and I'm yes. all flustered. So I slammed one of these. So, uh, you'll start seeing real time changes in my, <laughs> in my mood and my ability to, to, uh, do this show and not freak out. Yes. <laughs> no, it tastes great. That it actually was really refreshing.
2: Yeah, I I've been taking them for a while, and I definitely feel uh, feel that it's helping. I I'm not lying when I I say that I'm getting half the sleep, but still have the same obligations in life. Yeah, and I I can I'm one of those people who can drink like a Starbucks coffee right before bed and sleep. You know, still I don't know fall how asleep. you can do that. That's yeah. ridiculous. Um, but you know, coffee <laughs> just doesn't work anymore. And that other stuff makes me jittery. So yeah. Um, all right. Well, moving on to our next case, Yeah, I'll
1: give an update at the end of how I'm feeling. <laughs> yeah.
2: I'll be honest.
1: Cause I know, I know you use it. I don't haven't really used it. So yeah. Yeah, that's what we said in the one thing, like we actually use this stuff. Yes. And that's why we like, we've gotten other offers from sponsors. We only take stuff that we actually use and like, so yeah. All right. Case update number three, Bobby buys up. Uh, This was a case we did. This is our third episode ever. Yes. Way Uh, back in the day. Yeah, way back in the day. (laughs) Uh, we're going to go on the Wayback Machine. What what show is that, the Wayback Machine? I have no idea. That clue. was a kid's show, I think, yeah. from when we were kids. Uh, it's January 17th of 2019, so the third episode. We are still young guns. Young guns. Uh, in this game, getting <laughs> like five downloads a week maybe. Yeah. And thinking like, oh, this is a fun hobby. This yeah. is just fun.
2: It was it was brutal.
1: Yeah, I couldn't even get my mom to listen to this show at that point, I think. So sad. <laughs> so <laughs> the location of this episode was uh, Camp St. Milo at Estes Park. Right on the eastern border of Rocky Mountain National Park, and this is in Colorado. We talked
2: to uh, this was Dave Haskin, correct, the search and rescue guy. We talked to him.
1: Yep, because I think episode four is his full interview. Yeah, Um, and it's cool. You can still go to the church that this camp was based off. It's a beautiful area. Yes. Um, So the name of the uh, profile that we were covering was Bobby Bicep. Uh, He was a young male at the time of his disappearance. He was ten years old. So remains were found in a ravine a uh, heavy underbrush just below the timberline in Mount Meeker. This is behind the camp up a mountain. Yeah. <clears throat> the ravine and the area surrounding it had all uh, been a part of the original search. So how did it get there and why wasn't it found during the original search? This was the things that we were really trying to cover back when we were doing this. Yeah. Now, Bobby did have a few medical issues. Uh, he was hard of hearing and he didn't speak much. Uh, he was deaf, but he did wear hearing aids, so he was uh, able to hear, but it wasn't that well.
2: Yes. And did we say when he went missing? Um, I I don't think I have it here, but it was in like 1958. Yeah, it was it was, it was, was a was... long time
1: ago. Yeah. I do love because um, we copied the notes from here. I like we put occupation, hobby, child. Yeah. <laughs> Experience in the wilderness. Child. Kind. None.
2: We weren't too refined back in episode oh, three. no, I,
1: I, I, love, I love those days, going back to the, <laughs> the, the OG stuff.
2: Yeah. Um, so the
1: summary of the case, the St. Malo Retreat, also known as Chapel on the Rock, was built in 1936 on land donated by Mr. and Mrs. Oscar Mallow. The concept of the Chapel on the Rock was founded by Monsignor Joseph Bossetti in 1916 when he came across a very large rock formation just east of the Rocky Mountain National Park he was inspired by the biblical phrase upon this rock i will build my church and the church was donated to the archdiocese of diocese of denver uh, and so as we said before the southeast border of the park at that time <clears throat> the facility was used as a boys camp led by priests and sir, uh, uh seminarians i almost said surmarians <laughs> seminarians bobby buys up, the only son of master sergeant joseph buysup attended the camp. Bobby was mostly deaf, didn't speak clearly, so he mostly kept to himself, but he definitely loved fishing. On August 15th, 1958, Bobby was fishing down by Cabin Creek while attending the summer camp at the Mallet Retreat. Uh, It was a warm summer month. At 6 p.m. that night, a camp counselor approached Bobby and informed him that it was time for dinner. The two of them uh, were said to have been walking down the hill back towards camp the counselor noted that Bobby was just behind him. At some point along the path, he turned around to see Bobby's progress, and he was missing. The trail was a straight shot from where Bobby was fishing to the camp, which is, really, which is what really puzzled the SAR officials. <clears throat> Within four days, uh, four days, starting on the 19th, the search for Bobby went on for the next nine days with an estimated 400 volunteers from the National Park Service, local sheriff's department, and SAR people searching over 16 square miles. The search also included uh, the airmen from Denver's Lowry Air Force Base. Bloodhounds also searched the woods, and skin divers searched the heavier ponds. The search extended up Mount Meeker to about 11,000 feet and four miles in each direction. There was no sign of him, only his bait box about a mile from the creek where he was last seen by his counselor. The Civil Air Patrol dropped over 5,000 leaflets over a 200-square-mile radius. The leaflet said, mother and father love you. We need you. Mother is sick. She
2: needs you at home. We love you. I think uh, at the time we, we, when we did this episode, we talked about how they would never do that today just because of the like the pollution oh, yeah. concerns of dropping thousands of leaflets over 20 yeah, I, miles. I, I remember reading, I think it was because he
1: was hard of hearing, it was yeah. one of the main reasons they did it because they were worried he could, they couldn't hear if they're calling out to yeah. him. Um, But still, it's an odd. I remember us commenting on the message being a little odd. Yeah. Like coaxing them back because mom's sick. Yeah. Uh, On August 25th, the search officially ended. Uh, Now we're going to fast forward to June 6, 1959. Three camp counselors from the St. Malo's retreat, including the one of them who helped lead the original search for Bobby, came across part of a hearing aid. Scraps of clothing and some bones 2,000 feet up from the retreat all later confirmed to be Bobby's remains. They were found in a ravine's heavy underbrush just below the timberline on Mount Meeker in a space along Cabin Creek. So now we're going to go to the clip of our theories during that time. Roll tape.
2: You know, I think ruling out all of the, the usual suspects for... I just have to pause.
1: I'm so glad our sound quality's better than <laughs> it was back
2: then. It sounds yeah. like we're in tin cans. Yeah, it's pretty bad.
1: Hey, that's the early podcast. All right, here we go.
2: Yeah. What happens to a missing person, I think what doesn't jive for me is you only have one camp counselor that was with him. The search and rescue didn't really start until several days later after he was missing. So if the counselor is the prime suspect and abducted this kid, he had the time to hide the body or hide the kid or whatever happened to the kid. Maybe down the road, the counselor himself put his remains higher, high enough up on the mountain, assuming no one's going to find it. Yeah. And do you, then do you have, so I, I, okay, I'm, I'm
0: totally on the mic train right now. Like I'm not getting off. Like on board. we are, it's, it's like the hyper, it's, it's Elon Musk's hyperloop. Yeah. You can't get off. Cause I'm, I'm loving this theory right now. Um, So there's, I think there's two paths this theory takes. One, he abducted the kid, kept him alive. Yep. For a period of time. And then... And that's how... And either let him out or the kid got out at some point yeah. in SC's Park where people saw him. Yes. And then at some point before camp came back in session, mm-hmm. he either killed him yeah. before then and disposed of the body or... Well, at some point he would have had to kill him or he died. Yeah. And he disposed of the body up the mountain somewhere where it wouldn't be easy to find. Yeah. But... And in an area I would love that was know, I would love to know if the same guy who went to go get him for dinner yeah. was also leading the hike where they discovered the body yeah, see so that, he led him to the, the area where the remains were I found. don't know I don't know um, it'd, the be, hard to, on it'd that. be hard to find a piece of clothing and 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 a hearing aid it did say one brush. of the
2: counselors who led the original search was the one who found the bones mm-hmm. I, maybe the logic in the counselor that we allegedly say did this now i uh, guess we should say allegedly allegedly because there's probably people still alive and if he's still there yeah who knows so he um, could come after us but we don't know his name yeah so we, we don't there were, we never found out any I of the counselor's names spend some
0: time and figure this out now. yeah right
2: <laughs> but uh you know maybe logically he's thinking all right I'm, i need to dispose of these remains i'm gonna pick somewhere higher up on the mountain that was already searched assuming like well, you know, they already searched us, They're not going to come back and look again, so I'm safe dumping this stuff here. Yeah. out off, It wasn't on a trail. It sounds like they were just free hiking up the mountain and found this stuff. Yeah, which makes it even less reasonable that they just stumbled yeah. across such a small object and thick. My only question is... What happened to Bobby from this, the moment the counselor reported him missing to when the search started? So what you know if the counselor is, you and know, that, that's that's what's crazy. So like, what did he do with the Bobby? other did track? He... Is he killed Bobby? Yeah, he, he's
0: he's a a mess up guy. He kills Bobby there. Yeah, in the all the sightings in town are more like red herrings. Yeah, where people, people know, know the about the story and they maybe saw a kid with a hearing impairment. Yep, and it's just a ten year old. They're like, oh, that looked like Bobby. Yeah, like just because <laughs> it's almost like you they um. I don't know exactly what they say, but they talk about witness statements and how terrible witness statements are and crimes and, and things, especially when you think something. Yeah. And they'll even, they've I've seen shows where they'll test people like, all right, go in this room and remember as much as you can. Yeah. And they'll have a lot of stuff happen, and then they have them recreate it and they're just off. They're yeah. terrible. <laughs> they're ter- every now and then you get somebody who's good, but like no one's ever right. So that's yeah. why they talk about witness statements as being awful. So it's a matter of, you know, did they hit the jackpot and happen to see a 10-year-old boy with a hearing impairment, which yeah. I don't think would be too common. And he never really was alive that long. He's been dead. The camp counselor killed him, yeah. hit the body. All right.
2: <laughs> Joe was pretty fired up with that. I theory.
1: was. I was. You got me excited. We got on the mic train. I remember yeah. I remember getting on the mic train.
2: Yeah, and I'll let Joe get into what happened. But this, we got an update on this uh, May of 2021. And, I mean, basically Joe and I both thought that, One of the counselors abducted him and killed him. Yeah, Um, it it seemed highly suspect. We don't have actual proof of that happening, but as Joe gets into the details that have been released, a lot of these counselors went on to be accused of abusing boys uh, throughout the rest of their lives. So it would make sense that that's what happened, but I'll let Joe get into it.
1: All right, so uh, the update was May of 2021. More than 60 years after a deaf boy died after vanishing from a Catholic summer camp, federal investigators have obtained a stunning piece of physical evidence, a skull that is believed to be Bobby's. Nine News out of Colorado also recently revealed that three of the counselors at the camp went on to sexually abuse children as priests, and that other witnesses and documents raised other questions about the sequence of events when Bobby went missing. Park Service and FBI agents launched a wide-ranging investigation. DNA testing is underway to confirm that the skull is Bobby's. It was turned over to federal authorities earlier this year by a Denver area man, Dr. Tom Mikulski. He told nine news that it had originally been in the possession of his father, Dr. Joseph Mikulski, a prominent member of the Catholic church and a close friend of the priest who was running camp, St. Malo. When the boy vanished, Joseph Mikulski died in 1980 and Tom Mikulski said he took possession of it a couple of years later. Tom Mikulski said that the only thing his father ever told him was that it may be the skull of a boy who disappeared from the camp. He said he could not remember his dad's exact words. Over the years, he said he tried several times to identify the boy and find news stories about the disappearance. Then, in late December, he saw the 9 News documentary, Mystery on Mount Meeker, and realized the skull was likely Bobby's. He contacted federal authorities and turned over the skull, which had been stored in a paper sack in his basement. The counselor who admittedly was among the last to see Bobby and the one who found the bone and clothing on Mount Meeker was Neil Hewitt. At the time he was in the seminary after being ordained in 1962, he molested at least nine boys in four different Colorado parishes before leaving the priesthood in 1980 and getting married. Hewitt has repeatedly denied to Nine News that he had anything to do with Bobby's death. Two other seminarians serving as counselors, Harold Robert White and Gerald Ripola, also went on to be clergy uh, child sex abusers. White was the worst of the worst with at least 70 known victims. In addition, Nine News found that the story of Bobby's disappearance didn't mesh with the eyewitness accounts. Both Hewitt and Richard Heister the nephew of, and namesake of the camp director saw Bobby just before he disappeared, and both described him as being upset before running off. At the same time, the National Park Service documents obtained by Nine wants it's uh, Nine News, Nine News to know uh, to show that Hewitt discovered the bone and piece of clothing on July third, nineteen fifty nine. However, Father Hester didn't report it to the Park Service until three days later on July six. No one knows who found the skull or when, but is presumed to have been discovered sometime after the other remains were located and buried at Fort Logan. Larry Collins, a seasonal Park Service employee involved in the initial search for the remains, says Bobby's skull was never located. A Park Service report obtained by Nine News details many other bones that were found, but does not mention the skull. The camp director's nephew told Nine News that federal investigators told him they believed his uncle was in possession of the skull and gave it to his friend, Dr. Joseph Mikulski. Father Hester, like many other there when Bobby vanished, is no longer alive, but his nephew is troubled that he apparently didn't notify the authorities or the boy's family. Mark Haas, the spokesman for the Archdiocese of Denver, said the organization is cooperating with investigators. This tragic situation occurred over 60 years ago, and no one currently working for the Archdiocese has any direct knowledge of it, other than newspaper clippings from 1958 and 1959, he said. We have provided a National Park Service agent with all the newspaper clips from our archives for their review and offered to help in their investigation in any way that we can. The question now is whether investigators can determine exactly what happened and whether Bobby was the victim of foul play. So... I think
2: it was probably child
1: molestation. And they killed
2: him. And they killed him. Yeah. I mean, we were kind of zoning in on that in the original episode. And I think if we would have had this additional information at that time, I think it's clear cut, especially the eyewitness statement that he he seemed scared and running away. Yeah. Uh, And then just the fact that, I mean, most of the counselors – that were around Bobby at the time of his disappearance went on to commit heinous crimes of child abuse. Yeah. It could have been like their first one. I mean, we don't know they did it, but it, it, uh, a lot of the dots are connected. They're
1: not alive anymore. <laughs> I'll accuse them. I think they did. You, yeah. you have a, a disabled boy that doesn't talk. Yeah. A very victim. Like that, that's somebody that you'd probably want to prey on. Yeah. You have the least likelihood of getting in trouble.
2: It's, um, it's truly a sad story, especially, he's very disturbing, especially as a, a new father. Now that, that kind of stuff happens, it it hits you different. Um, you just got to hope that, uh, you know, Bobby, whatever happened to him, it wasn't, you know, it was quick. Yeah. And, you know, I I feel terrible, but
1: I'm, yeah, I remember from that case, he like was already not living the best life because he was picked on. He was teased a lot. So like, then you add that to it, like it's just absolutely terrible and awful, terrible.
2: But you know, I'm, I'm glad the case has been reopened and is being investigated by the FBI and the park service. And and, that they outed all those guys. Yeah. And you know their names now and uh, you know, real pieces of human trash that could do stuff like that. And um, we'll keep following this case uh, to see if anyone ever gets charged or if, you know, they determine the cause of death or anything. So yeah, um, we'll, we'll keep you updated. So what's good
1: is it sounds like all the people now, that were involved are very helping. open to yeah. helping and realizing that either their organization or their family or whoever yeah. did have some sort of wrong play. And they're trying to make amends by being as helpful as possible. So I hope that continues and um, we'll, we'll update if we hear anything else.
2: Yeah. So, okay. Moving on to our fourth and final case, Paul Miller. This is going even further back. Episode two. Uh, we recorded this on 12, 16 of 2018. This was a, uh, yeah, this was – we actually – we also talked to the PI, um, PIO of Joshua Tree, which at the time we were uh, – it was pretty exciting because, you know, it was our second episode. Yeah. And we got the, you know, director of the park basically to talk to us. Yep. Um, so uh, this happened again, another Joshua Tree National Park case. Um, Paul Miller, uh, male, 51 – and I just want to make sure, it was Joshua Tree, right? Yes, because it was uh, uh,
1: 29 Palms. It's Kinda, like the same area that Erica Lloyd's... Okay, uh, I was like, did I tw- just 29 copy... 29 Palms or 19 Palms? 20, 29. 29 Palms. I was poems. like,
2: did I just copy accidentally the same? But um, No, it's
1: literally the same area. And that's. Yeah. And I remember when we did that, I'm like, didn't we do a case
2: like that? I felt the yeah. same way when we did the episode. So like we said, Paul Mail, uh, Miller, male, uh, he was from uh, Guef... Uh, Ontario, Canada. I probably said that wrong. Guelph, 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 Ontario, Canada. Uh, we can f- get we can get Canadian names wrong. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Canada. Uh, he was age fifty one. He uh, his wife was Stephanie. Uh, she was a kindergarten teacher in wa- the Waterloo region. Paul uh, was a materials manager at a water treatment fi- uh, filtration company. Uh, they had two children, both graduates of the public high school in their area, and uh, one was named Dryden, age 21, and the other was Tiana, age 19. He was five foot five, one 160 pounds. His hair color was salt and pepper. That's uh, That sounds like a fun hair color to have, salt and pepper. Mine's turning into that. I have yes. black hair and it's starting to gray out here because all my kids... <laughs> Probably grayed a little more today with loose ducks in your house. Uh, it did gray a little <laughs> bit more when there's duck
1: poop all over my house.
2: Uh, his eyes were brown. His clothing he was last seen in, he was wearing dark shorts, dark gray, uh, almost black, high tech altitude, hiking boots, black hat, and he was carrying sunglasses, a camelback, hydration pack, and a Nikon D5300 camera. Um, so he, let's see here. Um, his experience in the wilderness, he had hiked across Canada, North America, and Mexico. Uh, at the time we would say he was a pretty, he seemed like a pretty good experience, you know, in nature. He's done these kinds of hikes before Well,
1: and he did. I don't know if I don't remember correctly. If it was the, this trail the, like day, the before. day before, yeah, was it? Okay. Yeah.
2: So him and his wife hiked this the day before. Um, so we know he at least was in this area once, uh, before. So real quick, Case summary, uh, July 13th of 2018, Paul and his wife were preparing to leave the hotel room when Paul wanted to do one more short hike to try and get a photo of a bighorn sheep. Around 9 a.m., Paul left the hotel room and drove his car to the 49 Palms Oasis Trailhead. Not 29.
1: I, 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 okay.
2: Yeah, but close S- enough. Same area. Something with Palms. Yeah. <laughs> um, 11 a.m., Stephanie said she started to become concerned when he did not return, but decided to wait another hour. 12 p.m., When Paul had still not returned, Stephanie contacted the Park Service report, Paul missing. 12.30 p.m. Park Service had put together a team and started the search. They quickly found Paul's rental car at the trailhead. Uh, Fast forwarding now to September 2018, park officials closed the trail for a few days while a helicopter crew flew over with new photo software. The camera takes high-res photos and automatically analyzes them for anomalies. Uh, we, we went into this pretty in-depth you know pretty in depth in this episode, pretty cool technology. Um, basically, they take thousands and thousands of pictures of the landscape, and they send all those pictures through a computer, and then it analyzes for things that basically aren't nature. And then it flags those, and humans actually take a look at those pictures. So pretty, uh, pretty cool stuff. Finally, just to recap the search effort for him, since July 13th, park staff have coordinated an extensive search, including... Teams doing technical, ground, helicopter, canine, and tracking searches. To date, the searches included 20 canine units and over 600 searchers, putting in more than 6,000 hours to find Miller. The heat has hindered efforts uh, and forced rescuers to at times start at 4 a.m., and by 9 a.m., they are returning to the command post exhausted. So pretty, pretty tough conditions to search in and hike. So now Joe is going to play our theories.
0: All right, rolling clip. We'll
2: jump into our
0: theories, really. So we kind of talked about animals. I think exposure is extremely relevant. Yeah, he disappeared around noon in the desert. You know, 105, 510 degrees is not
2: uncommon, dry heat. So I'd say exposure for sure. Yeah, with exposure, anybody that's hiked in desert climates, you know, dehydration does cause people to not think clearly. I mean, there's a chance... That he got dehydrated, wandered off the trail. Maybe walked for several miles just out into the desert. Somehow he walked into sort of delirious haze. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean that that's that's actually a very good point because you hear about the people that think they see water, things like that in desert. Granted, he was going towards an oasis, but again, you have a situation where maybe you're just unaware of what's really going on. So he's normally a hiker, but you can kind of. You can kind of get caught in those situations where you're not really sure. And then maybe it was just one of those times he was in the desert the day before. Yeah. So he had a lot of sun exposure the day before. Maybe he brought out enough water but wasn't really attuned to the symptoms that he was having. He's traveling a lot. So if you get out and get
2: delirious, did he go off trail and mm-hmm. then think he was on the trail and just kept walking? And So uh, you kind of touched on – I'll get into what happened to him, but you kind of touched on in your theory there back – way back in the day um that he got lost by walking the wrong way and um sure enough as i get into what happened i think i think you were pretty accurate uh, <laughs> well <laughs> so we got an update on Paul Miller's case december of 2019 uh the national park service and san bernardino county sheriff's department are investigating the discovery of human remains found in a remote and rocky portion of Joshua Tree National Park, according to park staff. Dental records would go on to confirm that the human remains found inside the park were uh, Paul's. On December 21st, Joshua Tree National Park authorities reported that on December 19th, human remains had been found near the trail. The The discovery came through photographs from a drone flyover of the area in November. So pretty cool, one of the drones actually found the remains. Yep. Uh, On December 20th, park law enforcement rangers hiked to the area where they, they found skeletal remains determined to be human and personal belongings. There was no personal identification found with the remains, which appeared to have been there for some time. Officials said adding, there was no indications of foul play. Speculation uh, is that whatever happened that caused his death happened quickly. She said possibly a heart attack or heat stroke. He was found in a shaded area and still had water and food, she said. It appeared he had made it to the hike, uh, made the hike to 49 Palms Oasis and was coming back out the wrong way. Early in the search uh, for Miller, teams had gotten close enough to where his remains were found that he would have heard and responded when they called out his names. And his wife believes this kind of adds comfort knowing that he didn't suffer too long. So, um,. His remains were found very close to the search area. Mm-hmm. That Again, that just shows you they had, what did I say, 600 people out there searching for him, Yeah, 20 canine units. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: yeah, I remember when uh, we got the information on this one. I think that's kind of what we came down to is, like, they came very close to him, and he had food and water. Yeah. So that's I, I speculated it was heart attack at that point. I think, Something yeah. like that because –
2: And he was going <coughs> the wrong way. So yes. That, if he would have gone back out the way he came – and had the heart attack, they would have found his body.
1: Yeah, they would have found it right away.
2: But because but it w-
1: sounds like they would have found his body. Like it wasn't like he got lost and then died of exhaustion because yeah. he had stuff there to make to to get through. So
2: yeah, so it's it's just really interesting when you. This is the first time we've done an update episode, and two of them now, the remains were found, incredibly close to where the search was yeah. operating. Mm-hmm. So that just shows you how incredibly difficult these searchers have in trying to find these people. Um, and you know, all the times we say that like the first 24, 48 hours are the most vital stay put, try to survive as long as you can because a lot of times they're close. they are yeah. really close. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, I, I look at that
1: shaded area thing as if he started getting chest pain, having heart attack symptoms, and like sometimes it's not like a painful, scary thing. It can just be something like you get tired and exhausted. Yeah. He probably went and sat down in a shaded area to relax, thinking, okay, I'm exo- overexerting myself. I'll just sit down. Didn't realize he's having a heart attack. They, yeah, and then just succumb to it. Yeah. Um. But again- I, I, I like the sentiment from his family. They think it was probably quick and painless, which- is, it stinks, but it is way better than suffering in the desert.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was happy to f- find out that it, he didn't, like, fall down into a ravine and yeah. be injured and then, you know, bled out or whatever would happen or an animal attack or anything like that. It, you know, a heart attack uh, out in the wilderness, probably there's no good way to go. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Um, he was in the shade, probably thought he was just tired, uh, you know, it sucks for him and his family, but I'm glad they have closure. And- yeah, and we got we got kind of close to the family. We talked to
1: the sister a lot via email. Yeah. Um they really were appreciative that we actually did the episode. I know early days we were very nervous about like <laughs> yeah. Cuz it was such a new case. I remember we were very nervous like, "Hey, is this something we should do?" Uh overwhelming support from the family for because what they what we didn't even think of at the time, but I remember they said was After the initial shock story goes out, people start forgetting about it. Oh, yeah. There's so many. Nothing's worse for the family than thinking that your loved one's been forgotten. Yeah. So they expressed gratitude that we are reigniting this fire and getting people uh, interested in the case again and getting people interested and saying nice things about him and and telling his story. So I remember uh, we reached out. I think we reached out to the sister after the update was found and they just said kind of what we expect people to say, is they're glad they have the closure. Yeah. Family was coming down, and they were going to do a service and everything, so.
2: Yeah, so. Um, yeah, I th- I th- I think heart attack. Yeah. I, th- I think the fact they found him under, you know, shade. Shade with food, food and water, water left. Food, yeah. I think that's the key point there is he had supplies. Yeah. So. Um, well, this was an interesting episode. We a little rattled because of the loose ducks in Joe's house. Um, <laughs> yeah, so not- <laughs> if, uh, if this sounds a little weirder than our normal episodes, it's a, we don't normally do it's it. It's the an, duck's fault. Yeah. It's the duck's fault. We don't do episodes like this normally. No, uh, I liked
1: it. I think it was good.
2: I yeah. Think, I think it was a good I, one. You know, hopefully we, we have more cases where they find, um, remains and can close them. Cause, Oh yeah. Uh, it's good for the families to get closure.
1: Yeah, and if you if you have comments, uh, anything, you can either write us. Uh, call the number, 208-391-6913. That is our phone number. Leave a message. and You can uh,
2: text it, too. Someone sent a text the other day.
1: Oh, I did not know that. That's <laughs> yeah. awesome. Yeah. Oh, we're going to have to – do we have, like, a bunch of voicemails, like, on queue? there? We got oh, uh, we have to do the Wisconsin uh, uh, oh, yeah. accents one. So that will be coming up soon. We'll yes. Do, maybe uh, this Thursday when we record, we'll do a patron and we'll do that one. Yeah. That would be fun. Okay, well, thanks again for tuning into our show. We appreciate you all uh, for being loyal listeners to Locations Unknown and sharing it with your friends and family. Be sure to like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, Also on YouTube, you can subscribe to our show to get the video content as well as be a a paid subscriber, which is very similar to our Patreon account. So those are two ways you can support us financially. Sign up for Patreon where you'll have access to extra episodes. And also on the subscription for YouTube to have extra access to those same episodes. Uh, If you would like to support us monetarily in other ways, you can visit our Facebook store and buy some cool swag, or you can go to our website and also buy that same cool swag. And just remember when enjoying the beauty of nature, whether walking, backpacking, or camping, always remember to leave no trace. Thanks, and we will see you all next time.